Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us uh, today, that uh, you would take all the, all the thoughts and all the directions and all the, the different little leads I, I, I chewed on and, and reflected on and just, just pull out of it um, your truth, that you would leave me, um, leave me out of the way, Lord God, lead me off to the side while you um, minister to the folks who are here, while your spirit fills the room. Um, I pray, Lord God, that folks would hear from you, that they would know you more by, by hearing the word preached, that, um, that this would be a, a blessing, Lord God. And most of all, Lord, as, as we were talking about prayer, I, I pray that folks who hear the words this morning would, would uh, just be inspired to pray, to pray um, intensely and, and deeply and, and to, you know, just to know you more and more and more through their time of talking to you. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, this week, I, uh, the last few weeks actually, I, I have been uh, going for uh, runs with my dogs in the morning. And uh, I, I can't go to the gym because I kind of screwed up my hand. And so uh, in deciding on what kind of exercise to do, I a few weeks ago decided running would be it. And I was out the other uh, morning uh, a couple mornings ago, and I was praying about the the message and praying about what to, what to talk about it and how to approach it. And as I was going up the, I don't even know what the road's called, a little frontage that runs by the grain elevators. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm running toward the dump, which is not very pretty. Uh, but on the on the side, and this is not a picture I took. This is a Craig Edwards picture. Uh, but but one of the things I really enjoy about running up that road is that the mountains are on the right and you get a good view of them and it's it's not the in town running you just get this good like like view of the sun rising or 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 the just the mountains straight out and usually it's at the front end of my time of prayer and so I'm, I'm I tend to start with praise and so I'm praying about uh, you're just exaggerating now knock it off. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, uh, as, I'm, as I'm running up the hill, though, I look over, and there are, you all saw the fog this week, right? There was so much fog, like, just out in the outlying. And when I ran, it's not exactly this. Um, when I was running, what caught my attention was that the fog almost covered the mountains. And it was one of those fogs that, like, peaked up and came down and had sharp edges to it. And it looked like a mountain range of clouds in front of the Bear Paw Mountains. Um, and it, it caught my attention um, because what we're talking about today is we're talking about God's kingdom um, because we're working through the Lord's Prayer and the next petition, the first, like this petition we're going to look at is your kingdom come. And it, it got me thinking about this thing that's in um, a C.S. Lewis novel, uh, um, The Great Divorce. is about a man who wakes up in hell and uh, he wanders around and talks to people, and he gets on a bus, and he rides the bus up into heaven, or the outskirts of heaven, and he tries to walk to heaven, and he discovers, like, it's very difficult, and there are all these people that rode the bus with him, and most of them just choose to go back to hell because they don't want to walk all that way. And one of the things they discover, and he talks about it at length in this book, is that he, like, everything around heaven is solid, whereas he's not. So when he walks on the grass, it's like walking on little knives that stab into his feet. And he tries to jump into the water, but the water is more solid than him, and so it's like hitting a layer of ice. And it was a river, so it like dragged him away. Um, Because he 
figured, like, like the way it was, and what Lewis is telling us is, there is a reality that we live in now that is not the reality. Heaven is eternal. Heaven is forever. Everything we see now, like Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians 13, which everybody focuses on the love part, he talks about now we see but a shadow or in a glass dimly, like a, like a bad mirror, we see sort of a distorted version, but then we'll see the real thing. And the idea Lewis presents is that what we experience now is not God's perfect. It is not the real thing. The real, eternal, forever important stuff is then, not now. And you become so fixated on now that any time you encounter something real, like heaven, something from God, it cuts you or it hurts you because you've got to put aside your shadowy stuff and focus on the real thing. And as I was looking at the mountains, I realized the fake mountain range was just water drops. Like, it looked imposing. It blocked the view of the mountains, but it wasn't real. We're going to talk about God's kingdom today, and I'm going to come back to this analogy over and over again, that God's kingdom, it is so tempting to miss God's kingdom because you just see glimpses of it with the world in front of it, blocking our view, obscuring it, where it's obscured by something that just isn't forever. As we're going to dive into the text, um, real quick, we're, we're looking at praying for his kingdom to come. And this is a funny verse. It is a uh, funny idea. And we're going to really carefully pick it apart because you can get lost. You can go at this from the wrong direction. And you can turn the mountain range looking clouds into the mountain range. Does that make sense? So just follow me here. Um, a little background. So we're using the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer as a guide for how to talk to God, as sort of a series of topics or things to dig into in our conversation with God. And the first week we talked about God as Father, like approaching God and discussing, like, like God, you are my Father. Like, you are, you are Dad. You created me, but you also saved me, and you love me. And, and praying about all the different facets and aspects of that. Learning to trust Him when the world seems like it's falling apart. Learning to emulate His teaching and His directions when it's hard or when you don't want to. That's something I encounter with my kids all the time, where they struggle because I tell them, this is what you need to do, and they don't want to. Or they're angry and they don't feel like doing it. Or they're tired. Or they're having too much fun to go to bed right now. Or whatever. And they don't understand that these things are for their best. And they get sidetracked. And so talking to God about His fatherhood over us and our relationship with Him is the beginning. And then the second thing, which we talked about last week, is God's names. Like God's character, his qualities, who he is. Um, and we sort of liken this to, uh, I sort of liken this to talking to my wife, where, you know, I, I try very hard to tell her great qualities regularly. I do it with my daughter, too, where I'll tell my daughter, like, oh, you, you know, you're just growing to be so pretty, and you're so funny, or you're so smart, or we talked about how she's good at math the other day, and, and all of these things, like, but relating and conversing with God about these things. These are worship elements. Got it? Recognizing who and what God is and our relationship with him is worship. From there, we begin to shift into a different type of prayer. These are all petitions. Petitions are asking. Got it? Like my kids petition me for more TV time almost every day. 
if we go grocery shopping, I'm going to be petitioned for uh, just about everything in the store, right? Like the kids don't even want it and they're going to ask for it. You know, Dad, can we get this, you know, uh, MSG seasoning? Surely this is, you know, no, no. Why do you want that? You know, liquid smoke, Dad. See, it's liquid smoke. No. You know, but they'll ask for it. There's a petition. Um, and so the first petition is your kingdom come, right? Uh, real quick, and I talked about this last week, there's a prayer, the Kaddish, which was said in Jewish synagogue three times every day. And everybody knew it by heart. And this was a prayer, a regular Jewish center, front and center kind of prayer. Um, and it is very similar in a lot of ways to the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to touch on it. I'm going to touch on it for a reason. We'll get to it in a second. Exalted and hallowed be his great name. Sound familiar? Right? Except there's no Our Father, by the way. So they don't ever acknowledge that intimate, close, personal relationship. Exalted and hallowed be your name in the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in our lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole household of Israel speedily and at a near time and say amen. Now, it's very similar, but it's definitely different. There is a different tone to it. But what they're asking for is, God, establish your kingdom in my lifetime. Um, but what they're talking about, because the ancient Jewish faith was so, and it particularly, this is Matthew's rendition. Matthew was written to um, Jews in Israel, in the Holy Land, the Promised Land. And they were all about the Promised Land. Their religion was intricately connected to the Promised Land. And so God's kingdom means, um, God, well... God's kingdom is always associated with the nation of Israel and its political power and its establishment and everything else. And so we're going to get to that little real quick. Matthew 6.10. Everybody heard the verse, right? Your kingdom come. Um, this is an already but not yet prayer. Uh, I am saved and made just like Jesus. Already but not quite yet. Right? In eternity I am like Christ. In eternity I am redeemed. In eternity, I am raised from the dead. But that stuff hasn't quite happened yet, right? Um, like there is a, it is true, but it is also becoming true element to this prayer. And that's important. We'll work on that as we go. Um, the second is the Jewish concept, a kingdom which is established in association with land. So they're thinking, we want our Davidic king again. We want our king. That's like every political party in America between elections, Next time, our king will be in charge. And then, and all oh, we're in exile, like big dramatic weeping and gnashing of teeth. Next time, our king and our kingdom will be... The problem is that that focus is clouds. Everybody with me? It is looking at the clouds and not realizing that the kingdom of Israel was always pointing forward to Jesus and missing the truth that the church and Christ were the point. They're just looking at the clouds and thinking that's the solid thing and not realizing the thing behind it is what's really solid. And so they're focused very heavily and in their conversations with Jesus, they're focused very, very heavily on the idea of, all right, you're here, let's kill us some Romans, right? Which is it's a fun religion, right? Like, 
you're here, let's get to conquest. Um, because they were waiting for a reestablishment of the Davidic uh, throne. Um, in terms of the New Testament and how we are, actually the whole of the scriptures, but how we are going to look at kingdom in this context is first off, kingdoms require one thing. You know what it is? A king. I figured an American audience would struggle with that answer. <laughs> right? Like, we don't have kings. Um, we sort of do, but... Um, God's kingdom is the area of his rule and authority. Now, that gets tricky because God's rule and authority is everywhere, right? Um, when Jesus is being arrested to go to the cross, he says, uh, and Peter takes out a sword and cuts the guy's ear off, he says, hey, hey, if I wanted to, I could call ten legions, ten thousand angels down to protect me. I don't need your help. Because God's authority was always present. You don't get away from God's authority. God is God, right? My kids, I think sometimes they do things that they think I don't know. But in reality, I know. Um, I just haven't killed them for it yet. Uh, in terms of our experience of God's kingdom, God is king and he is authoritative. And there are two layers of that. There are his eternal kingdom which is the kingdom that will be forever. It is heaven. It is redeemed creation. It is all of this stuff is God's eternal kingdom. And sometimes you see it referred to in the scriptures, and we'll dig into that a little bit. The second version of God's kingdom is the mediatorial kingdom, which is a weird word, so weird that the spell check got mad at me and kept changing it. Um, I typed it five times, and I even looked it up, and Google spelled it right. I don't know what was wrong with the spell check. Um, but God's mediatorial kingdom, meaning this is the space between God's eternal kingdom and the world that is lost. Guess where that takes place? Here, now, in us. This is the redeeming portion of God's kingdom. This is the, you weren't invited to the wedding feast, but come and join us in the wedding feast. All the men's Bible study guys caught should catch that, right? Like we talked about that last week, being invited to the wedding feast, the feast of the Lamb. Um, and so these two aspects are what we talk about when we pray and we do the Lord's Prayer, right? Like this guide, does your kingdom come? And we are talking about his mediatorial kingdom and his eternal kingdom, which is referring to God ruling. So um, what's the joke? I'm the king of my castle whenever my wife isn't in the room, right? I do whatever I want when she doesn't see me, then I'm not really king. If God is king in our lives, if God's kingdom is established in our lives, he is, he's calling the shots and we're submitting. We are following. That's, I believe, why Paul refers to himself as a doulos of Christ, a slave to Christ, Meaning I will be a slave to sin and death or I will be in God's kingdom and be a king, you know, slave to Christ. But there ain't no in between. Um, and so we're going to look at this. How do we make Jesus king in our lives and how do we talk to God about it in our prayer? And I believe prayer is fundamental to establishing Christ as king in our life. King in our lifetime. Now, the Jews really misunderstood this concept. And their misunderstanding comes out of things like Isaiah. Um, in the book of Isaiah, I'm not going to read that particular text, but you can write it down and look it up later, but you don't have to because you know it. Um, and the government will 
rest on his shoulders, and his kingdom will last forever. Um, this is a messianic prediction. And the ancient rabbis read that, and they're like, hey, you know what that means? That means when the Messiah comes, he is going to kick some butt and take some names and open a new Jesus-based or Messiah-based DMV, and like he is going to be everything. All of the rules will be followed by him, or will be followed under him, and he will be the establisher as God's king in our nation, because they thought about the land, but they missed the point that the land is God's kingdom. It's always just clouds. The land they're physically in is the clouds between them and the mountains. The real thing, the mountains, are God's real rule in our life. But they were looking at the clouds and like, where's our new David? Where's our king? I'm going to read Jeremiah 3. Ooh, no, wrong verse. Uh, 23. Did I mark it? I hope I marked it. I did. Uh, Jeremiah 23. Behold. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the days of Judah will be saved, in in his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Which I could be wrong. I think that might actually mean Jesus. I think actually Jesus, well, anyway, sorry. Um, but that is the phrase, the Lord is our righteousness. And that actually does translate into the new covenant. The new covenant, we are righteous under Christ. When he dies for our sins, he receives punishment for our sins, and he becomes sin, and we are made righteous because it is a transferred thing. That's how the new covenant works. He is a propitiation, and we are given his permanent record. And so the Lord is our righteousness. And this is literally Jeremiah saying, hey, This is what's going to happen. But they didn't understand because Jeremiah was talking in terms they would understand. He's talking clouds. And they don't understand it because all they can see is the clouds. They don't realize that the land and the rest that we have is in Christ. And that the real land is eternity. It is this new life that we live in Christ. Like It is the ultimate objective. And they missed it. Which is heartbreaking. But Jesus' arrival is the advent of God's kingdom in creation. Why do I say that? Because God had a nation that was his, but his kingdom is where he steps in the world and he begins to establish his will and his rule over us. And he does does so through Christ. So the coming of Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection are all God's kingdom arriving. And actually, we have a great line in Matthew 3, 2. This is John the Baptist speaking. And Mr. the Baptist... Says, I do get a chuckle. You guys are killing me. Am I that dull or is it too warm in here? You're falling asleep now. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Rebecca. <laughs> for this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path face, uh, straight. And so he's saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he talking about? They think he's saying God is going to reform the creation for them. And what he is really saying is God's kingdom has arrived. They are in the neighborhood. He is coming. Pay attention. Repent. Get right with God. Re-enter the covenant. All of this other stuff. And they miss it. But the idea is Jesus' arrival is the beginning of a re-establishment 
of the covenant, of this kingdom of God in creation. It is fixing everything that was broken by the fall. We're going to jump over to Luke 17. Let me give you a quarter second to find it. And being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, the reason they're asking is because they're like, well, look, you're casting out demons, which you see in the scriptures, like casting out demons is associated with the kingdom coming. And he's like, hey, look, tell everybody the demons are being cast out. The kingdom of God is here. And it's something that all the Jews were waiting on. We talked about it a whole lot last summer. I'm not getting into it today. But um, they're like, hey, look, if you really are the kingdom of God guy, when's it going to come? When are we going to see the Romans kicked out? When are we going to have our own king? When are we going to get all our stuff back? When are you going to give us what we want? And the kingdom, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, translators do some weird acrobatic, or I mean, uh, interpreters do some weird acrobatics with this text. And so I'm going to try to delicately explain this. What he's saying is the kingdom of God is in your midst. Who's in their midst? Jesus is. Guess what? It's because the king showed up. Right? And the king's authority is all around him. And so he walks into a crowd. That's where God's kingdom is. You can choose to be on board or not. But, like, just because you're in the room with him doesn't mean you're a part of the kingdom, right? Like, he actually says that elsewhere. He says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will be welcomed into his kingdom. Right? Because I never knew you. You have to be in Christ. You have to be in relationship with him. You have to, all this stuff has to be pinned down. You have to be in this place where you are under his rule and in his authority. That is how we reach the point of you know, like members of his kingdom, and that's where salvation comes from. The cross, the resurrection. And actually, Luke 22, which I'm not going to read right now, uh, talks about this idea um, when Jesus at the Last Supper. And I really thought this was the last Sunday of the month. And so I thought, man, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to have a Last Supper verse. I don't. Um, next week. Uh, but he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God has come in its glory. Um, this is a side-eye view to the resurrection, meaning the crucifixion is his victory over sin and death. The resurrection is the beginning of the kingdom, it is the beginning of heaven, because Christ is the first one who is resurrected, but the resurrection will follow him. And all people who are in Christ will be resurrected to heaven. Everybody else will be resurrected to judgment. There's a whole other conversation. Understand, though, the resurrection is the beginning of the established. Like, here it is. It is now. And so it begins. We're going to jump to the last idea here. So when we pray about this, first off, we have to pray and understand that Christ is brought God's kingdom, but he didn't bring an earthly kingdom. And there are people who will do that. They're like, oh, if our political party wins, then Jesus wins. Well, no. If Christ changes your heart, if you submit your life to him, if you follow him, if you preach the gospel, if you minister, Jesus wins. Right? Like, But people want to co-opt it. And it's been happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and it still happens today, but it's still not true. The kingdom of God is in us, in our midst, which I, some argue, also refers to in us, meaning if, Christ is, if I'm in Christ, if his spirit is in me, 
I carry the kingdom with me, or the kingdom is being established in us, which we're going to talk, touch on here real brief in Luke 9, um, where Jesus actually says, take up your cross and follow me. Why would we take up our cross and follow him? Because we have to die to our own life, and we have to be born again into this new kingdom. Um, there's a lot behind that. Actually, it's a really cool thing, but understand as we take up our cross and we crucify the parts of us that get in the way of submitting to Christ, we establish his kingdom in us. That is a lot of work. You know why? Because taking up your cross is not wearing a piece of jewelry. It is not showing up to church. It's not voting a certain way. It's not giving money to certain groups. It is looking and saying, this person is my enemy and I will pray for them and I will love them. You know how awful that is? You know how wonderful that is? Because it's crucifying the old man, the flesh, and being born again as a new person, more and more and more like Christ. That is the objective. That is what the kingdom in us is referring to. And as we follow Christ, Romans actually really digs into this. If I had a whole more sermon to do on this, I would, but uh, we're not doing it today, sorry. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, jump over to chapter 4. I'm going to try and take this little post-it out without tearing my page. There we go. And we're going to start in, let me be sure I got my verse right, Ephesians 4, 13 to 16. Um, Until we attain, until we all attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You start about the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, we as the church, as individuals in the church, as the body of Christ, we are to build up, we are to grow, we are to learn, we are to submit to Christ, we are to become more and more and more. And as we do so, we become mature in the faith. And then we don't like... We begin to exhibit things like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no laws. If you look in the mirror and you say, am I self-controlled? Am I um, loving? Do I forgive my enemies? Do I speak the truth in love? This is how we measure the fruit that is growing off the tree, right? Like every farmer in the room knows how many bushels an acre you're doing every year, right? I'm, I'm assuming, right? Like, I, Steve, how many bushels an acre did you guys cut this year? You know, don't you? More than one. This is your opportunity, Cal, and just say it out loud and embarrass him. Uh, but we know this, right? Because, like, it comes down to dollars and cents. But at the end of the day, there's going to be another cutting next year, and there's going to be another cutting after that. You know why? Because all that grain's going to get eaten by someone eventually, or by mice or rabbits, or the government's going to buy it and waste it, or whatever. But it's going to go away because it's clouds. 
in reality, it's not the real thing. The real kingdom of heaven is not the growth we're pulling out of that. It's the growth we're pulling out of here through Christ and his spirit. And as we grow into him, God's kingdom is established in us and in those around us. This is the trick. When we pray, God, you know, your kingdom come. How many of you all have said that phrase 10 million times? How many of you all realize you're asking God to change you in such a way that Christ was seeping out of your pores, out of your attitude, out of your heart, the words you were speaking, all of that stuff. And how many of y'all, serious question, stop and look and say, do I look like Christ today? Am I growing into the full mature statue, statute or stature, that's the word, stature of Christ? Do I look more and more like him? I read, um, I find Arnold Schwarzenegger very interesting because he's horrible. Uh, kind of a horrible person, but he's also a guy who accomplished a lot in his life. But when he was like growing up, he cut out people that he thought looked perfect and he hung them on his wall. And every day he would sit in his bedroom as a kid and stare at these pictures. And then he would stare some more and he'd go to the gym and he would think about the pictures. And all he was thinking was every day I become more and more like that guy and I'm going to look like him. For us, thy kingdom come and reading the scriptures, and absorbing Christ, and standing and walking near people who look like Jesus is the process of becoming more and more like him. Because we look at that and we say, do I look like Jesus? Do I look like Jesus? Is my attitude like Jesus? Am I losing my temper? Do I hate my neighbor? Have I treated my brothers and sisters in Christ like the enemy? Um, Not even the way that Christ said to treat the enemy. We're supposed to pray for the enemy. What are we supposed to do for the brothers and sisters in the church? The idea here is God's kingdom comes in our life when we become like Jesus. When we recognize he is Lord. When we make him king over us and we bring our whole life into harmony with who we were meant to be. If you really want to have fun, read chapter 5 of Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I was in the hospital with the uh, Bond Millers the other day with uh, baby Josephine. Uh, and, and I made a bunch of Napoleon jokes and I was in first and so nobody else gets to do it. Uh, nobody got that. Sorry. Uh, but one of the things that Keely said that caught my attention was, she talked about how the baby was already showing little Callan mannerisms. I assume because it fell asleep or something. I don't know. Uh, she fell asleep, not yet. Um, but babies imitate their parents. That's why my son sometimes looks like me in his facial expressions. That's why my daughter talks like her mom when she wakes up in the morning. Um, <laughs> um, because we are to be imitators of Christ. That is how the kingship comes about in us. So, jump into the next little bit here. Um, Beyond God's rule in our lives, we're going to look at God's eternal kingdom. So we pray for God's rule in our lives. That is things like, by the way, real quick, praying for patience. It's a kick-me sign. Did you know that? Praying for patience? Because you learn patience by waiting. But, In learning to be patient, in learning to suffer patiently, we become more like Christ. All of it's hard. 
But as we stare at Christ, we should desire to look like Him. And we should be challenged to imitate Him, to follow Him. What else are we praying when we pray for kingdom? By the way, that is the whole thing to stop on. Like as you're praying in the morning, to just stop and say, God, let your kingdom come in me, in my family. Let, you know, help me overcome my short temper. Help me to be patient. Help me to love my kids when they're kind of unlovable. Help me to be holy. Help me to avert my eyes from sin. Help me to not covet things that are not good for me. Help me to be like your son. That is a stop. You could pray that for hours. And you should. Because, actually, that was one verse. I want to jump back here. Um, the Second uh, Corinthians there is uh, where Paul is praying. And he says, I have this thorn in my side. And I prayed because I was weak with this thorn. And God said, well... My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made complete in your weakness. And Paul says, well, look, if God's power is complete in my weakness, then I'll be weak and I'll let him do the work. The reason we pray for God's kingdom in our lives is because you can't do it. Not on your own. Christ has to do it for you. And so you have to talk to him. You've got to pray and you've got to ask and you've got to lean on him. And when you hate someone, and we all hate people, I'm sorry we do because we're fleshly. Um, when you hate someone, you bring that to Christ. And you say, God, help me love this person. And Christ changes you because you can't change your own heart. Only Christ can do that on your behalf as he establishes his kingdom. The crazy thing is he does all the work. He establishes the kingdom. He conquers. He changes everything. All right. So the other thing we're praying for is God's eternal kingdom. Now, the ancient Jews believed that if the entire nation of Israel one time observed the Sabbath perfectly, the Messiah would come. Isn't that kind of weird? All we have to do is all of us obey the rules one day and like God will send his chosen one. That is not how the world works. Everybody got it? Jesus is not going to come back if we all go a day without sinning. You know why? Because if that's what's required, he ain't coming. (laughs) Because in Christ, I'm still going to struggle. His kingdom will not be perfectly established in me until... Later, I'm in the already, but the not yet hasn't happened yet. So, we pray for God's eternal kingdom to come. The idea that you can pray and it like speed it up is controversial. But, regardless of whether we pray and we desire, you know, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Have you guys heard that? I, I hear it a lot when we see school shootings or horrible abuse stories or crimes or whatever. People say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because we know that those things will end when Christ arrives. Suffering will end. Every tear will be wiped away when that happens. Can we speed it up by praying? You know what? He's coming when he's coming. He already made his mind up about that. It has already been decided. It's not for me to know. It's not for me to guess. Anybody who sells you a book saying he's coming later this year is lying, by the way. You know why? One, they don't know. And two, if they really thought Jesus was coming back, they wouldn't sell you the book. They'd give it to you. Because if they're making money and investing it in the stock market, they don't think it's going to be the end of the stock market. Got it? It's just what it is. Um, We 
though, as we pray for the eternal kingdom. So we are praying for Christ to return. We are praying for the creation to be redeemed. We are praying for all of these things. And as we are praying it, there's a tension there because we want Christ to come back, but we want to be more like Christ before he gets here. We want to bring more people to Christ before the judgment happens. But we're looking forward to Christ coming so we can be with him. But when he comes, everybody who ain't ready is in trouble. So we sort of want it to slow down and there's a tension. But we pray for Christ to come back. Why? Because, you know what? I was in Israel a few years ago. I was gone for several weeks. And I about lost my mind. I cannot be away from my wife for that long. I need adult supervision. No, I need my wife, actually. And I remember when I got back, my wife made a big deal because it was icy and snowing and there were blizzards all over. And I about got in the car. I'd been awake for two days straight. And I about got in the car and drove home from, was it Helena or from Helena? Because I just wanted to go home and be with my wife. I just wanted that so bad. And in reality, like, it wasn't a smart thing to do because it was not time. I would have fallen asleep or I would have died in a car wreck or whatever else. Like, it was just not time. And so we want it to come, but we don't want it to come yet. And there's a tension there, and it will always be there. I want to see Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. But I want to take as many people with me as I can. I want to look around at my kids and my wife and say, here we are. This is the most amazing thing ever. And I want to enjoy the presence of Christ for eternity with them with my neighbors, and with their neighbors, with the rest of Big Sandy. So I want them to come, but I want them to wait. We ourselves are citizens of heaven. This is not our home. Got it? This is not our home. If we make our home here forever, we are living in the clouds, not in the mountains. Because our home is not here. And that is an important idea. I'm not going to look up the text. You can look them up yourself. They are... Actually, fantastic, but the idea here is we are traveling through this world as guests, as sojourners, as guys on a journey, and if we stop and think we're going to live here, we're going to be lost. Our real citizenship is in heaven. It is, uh, I think it's C.S. Lewis who talks about the idea of being homesick for a place you've never been. That is heaven. That is why we desire his kingdom to come, but not yet, because we want to take people with us. And so, as citizens of heaven, this is our idea. We watch. I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to be there. But I want it, you know, because this is my home. I, uh, anytime I travel for a long time, I just want to get home after a certain point because I don't want to be away from home. I would probably never leave the house if I could. Second um, Peter, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. By the way, this is submit to Christ, become like him, establish his kingdom in you. For if these qualities are yours and you are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, why am I talking about this? Because the things that make me effective in this world are not the things that make me effective in the kingdom that I belong to. Being a handsome man has paid off for me in this life. It will not go with me to eternity. It's not probably not going to make it with me. Well, first off, it was a joke. But... In reality, the longer I have kids, the more I realize I will not be, I will not maintain the good looks for any length of time. My hair's falling out and I'm wrinkling and I'm getting fat and everything else. It's all the kids' fault. Um, 
But in reality, we look to be more and more and more and more citizens of heaven to take on Christ in our lives, his rule, his kingdom in us, because this world and the things that make us successful here will not make us successful there. I'd rather live in a shack here where a crown of glory there than vice versa. Make sense? Because if I'm going to live in the cloud, being effective in the cloud is dumb. It didn't get you anything. The mountain's real. You can't climb the clouds. You can climb the mountain. Um, so this is not our home, and we need to remember that and keep our eyes on it as we ask, God, when is it time for me to come home? When is it time for me to come home? When are you coming here? And at the same time saying, but I'm not ready to go yet. Paul says that when he's in prison. He says, I long to go to heaven, to pull up stakes, to pull myself out of this world and go and be with Jesus. But in reality, the longer I'm here, the more I bless you. And so I'd rather stay a while. Um, That's us. And we have to realize this and keep our eyes on it because we can forget the world puts us to sleep. Great TV shows make us forget. Facebook chews up so stinking much time because... You fall into a trance and nothing else exists. And you scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you waste. In reality, we have to stay awake and keep our eyes on the prize because we are not here. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. We belong in eternity, in the kingdom that is eternal. Um, And so we are to keep our eyes on the things that are eternal. We're to keep... That's... uh, um, Paul writes, uh, set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. You know why he says that? says that because we're supposed to set our eyes on where we're going, not on here. Keep your eyes on the mountain behind the clouds because if you think you're traveling to the clouds and you think you're going to hang out there, it ain't going to work out. There are no elk in the clouds. So like you go to the mountain to shoot them, right? That was a terrible analogy. It was just off the cuff. That's what happens. Um, And so we keep our eyes on that prize, never diverting, never sidetracking, focusing on eternity and going to be with Jesus. Finally, when Jesus eventually returns, Revelation 19, you can read it later, is so much fun. It is this depiction of a conquering king, you know, on a war horse with lightning and, you know, all kinds of stuff, big white horse and, and, you know, like it is this powerful image of a king arriving because that's our home. That's what we're looking forward to. And you know what? I may not want it to happen today, but I'm looking forward to seeing him on that horse. I am looking forward and desperately hoping to hear, well done, my. Come quickly, but take your time. When we pray, your kingdom come, we start out, God, you are my father and I love you. Thank you for adopting me into your family. We go to, um, <laughs> let your name be holy because, God, you are holy. You are my provider, Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Nisei, my banner of victory. And then, God, bring your kingdom here. Bring it here. Bring it in my life. Bring it to the lives of those around me. Let us come under the kingship of Christ, under the lordship of Christ. Help me to learn to pick up my cross and be a slave to Christ every single day, every minute, every second. Help me to love my enemies. Help me to die for those who would persecute me. Help me to carry the words of Jesus on my lips at all time. But also, Lord, help me to keep my eyes on heaven. Help me to keep my eyes on the day when Christ will arrive and the whole world will bow, drop to their knees, 
and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. This is what we pray, and we're supposed to pray it every day. If you go by the Dadach, you're supposed to pray it several times. Just the written prayer? No, talk to God. Why? Because, as I do in premarital counseling every time I ever do it, I tell husbands, talk to your wives. Why? Because wives want to be talked to and not about farm equipment. I mean, unless you do, but I don't think they do. Um, We talk to Jesus. And we talk to him about, like, we have that call I would have with my wife who would get mad at me because she's, like, sleeping. And it's like, I'm calling in Israel, and I'm like, honey, I miss you so much. And she's like, shut up, I want to sleep. I miss you, I want to be with you, I want to come home, but I don't want to leave yet. i got too much to do here. That's what we say to Jesus. We say, your kingdom come. My challenge to you this week, as you pray, as you pursue Christ you know, daily in prayer is to ask Him, Lord, what's Your kingdom look like in my heart? What does Your kingdom look like in my life, in my attitude, in how I treat my brothers, in how I pray for those who are evil or mistreat me, and how angry or crass or, or fleshly or whatever? Like, what does it look like? Am I submitting to Christ? Show me where I can do more. Show me where I can look like you more. And then beyond that, to pray, God, like, help me to keep my eyes on heaven. Help me to remember why I'm doing this. Help me to focus on you. Let's pray and I'll let you go. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make Christ real in us. That your kingdom would be established in my heart, in this church, in our leaders, in our members, in our children. And Lord God, that it wouldn't just be established, but that it would grow. That it would grow and reach the neighbors, the lost people, the folks who are broken, the people who are living in full rebellion, that they would know you, Christ, that they would come under your kingship. And Lord God, I pray that your kingdom would come again, that we would stand in eternity with you. Lord God, I cannot wait to be in your presence. But Lord God, I desire... For you to tarry so I can be more like Jesus, so I can raise my kids to look more like Christ, and so I can preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day, guys.